Brothers and sisters, this is the second Sunday of Advent, and I'd like to take us to Isaiah chapter 42, just four short verses. And so if you wish, you can take a Bible and open to that passage. We're still anticipating, that's what we looked at last week, the anticipation of the birth of Jesus. And as you heard read earlier in the service, Jesus has still not yet been born. We Uh, have instead uh, received information about John the Baptist. But the one that we anticipate, Jesus, is the one who is ultimately a substitute for us. Because of what he has done, we have life. He is the one who is the uh, giver and the establisher of our eternal life. Little theologians, I want you to draw something that's going to seem a little bit strange at first. I want you to draw a picture of yourself as a hero. So whatever your superhero uh, ability is, I want you to draw that. And as you're drawing that, I'll I'll be addressing that picture of yourself as a hero later in the sermon. But our passage is from Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 4. Would you please join me in prayer, and then we'll read this passage. Let's pray. Father, thank you for gathering us together this morning. This is the result of your sovereign hand bringing us here to this place, that you might teach us, that you might nourish us. We pray that you would do so as you have already begun to do over the course of this worship service. Teach us, Father, by your Spirit what you would have us know. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 4. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit Upon him, he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law." This is the word of our Lord. Well, what is this passage about? This passage is about an unassuming hero. And like all heroes, he has a mission, he has a work, but he's unassuming because he's not the kind of hero that we may want, and he's certainly not the kind of hero that we make of ourselves. But unassuming or not, This hero is the only one who can perform the heroic mission laid out for him by God. If you know the book of Isaiah very well, you might know that this is the first of four servant songs in Isaiah. That's a strange expression, isn't it? Servant song. Well, this is the first. But a servant song is really an extended poetic picture of a very special servant of God. Isaiah chapter 40 through 55 is sometimes called a book of comfort, 40 through 45. And it may be that these songs are especially intended for those who are in exile, carried away to another land and in need of comfort. But really, all of us are in need of comfort. We talked about this last week. But this book of comfort 
has in it several songs about a hero who is God's servant. And we may not put those words together, hero and servant, but this is what God has for us in the work of Isaiah. Now, really, uh, I'm cheating a bit in this sermon because we know how to read this passage. And the way we know how to read this very passage is because this passage is quoted in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew actually tells us how to understand this passage. In Matthew 12, after Jesus had healed a man with a withered hand, you remember that scene, Jesus ordered people not to reveal his identity, and he withdrew from the public eye. And Matthew said that he did that in order to fulfill these very verses that we've just read. But what I intend to show in this passage is that Jesus is the unexpected hero whose mission is for the salvation of others. We are those others. We ought to listen very carefully about this unexpected hero. The first thing we learn in the very first half of the first verse is that Jesus alone is the servant hero who belongs to God. That Jesus is that hero that's God's hero. Not that he saves God, but that he is the one who is appointed by God, and there's just one of him. Look at my servant. That's how the passage begins. Behold my servant. If you uh, turn just one verse earlier, the very end of chapter 41, you read in 41 verse 29, Behold, they are a delusion. And it's a reference to idols. And really, 41.29 tells us where our eyes, as people, often turn. Behold, they, idols, are a delusion. Their works are nothing. Their metal images are empty wind. That's who we normally behold. But this passage, this passage is telling us to behold God's servant. And this servant is Jesus. And this servant is not for us here uh, an example or a role model. He is very, very singular. There is no servant like this servant. Look, look what Isaiah tells us about him. God upholds him. God doesn't uh, merely, God doesn't like lean on him. God actually sustains and cares for him. Uh, really, the phrase God upholds him, we ought to read as uh, a father caring for his son. God upholds him, and God chooses him. The work that this servant must do is not for anyone. He has to be chosen or appointed by God, and God chooses him. God actually delights in him as well. You see that there. God upholds him. God chooses him. God actually delights in him. E.J. Young in his commentary on Isaiah says that God delights with the fullness of his being. But you know how you delight in people and how you delight in things. Imagine God in the fullness of his being delighting in this, this, his servant. Upholds him, chooses him, delights in him. But Isaiah's not finished. God has put his spirit upon him. We read of this earlier in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 11, that the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, clearly a reference to Jesus. And in Isaiah 11, uh, that passage says, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Is there anyone more endowed than this particular servant? God has equipped this one hero for a very special mission, a mission that only he can accomplish, 
upholds him, chooses him, delights in him, and puts his spirit upon him. Well, God says this himself with his own words in the life and ministry of Jesus. Did you hear echoes of that? You remember when Jesus was baptized? The heavens opened and the voice uh, comes down from heaven, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And then again at the transfiguration, God says, this is my son, my chosen one. And actually, over and over again, in the New Testament church, we find several examples. Uh, Jesus is called the beloved of God, but that's no surprise. God says that he loves him and chooses him, delights in him, but Jesus knew this of himself. The Father loves the Son. Those are Jesus' words in John 3.35. And so when we read this passage, we're to see the singularity of this hero. There's none like him. We're, we, of course, are called to be servants. But we're not called to be uh, simply like this particular individual. This is not an example passage. Be like this one. We're called to know that he is alone, the instrument of God's mission. And we must worship him alone, even though we're tempted to, well... Behold our idols, run after them, make them the center of our thoughts and our speech and our actions. And what God is saying is he's saying, behold him, and it would seem in this passage that even God himself is beholding him, this servant. But then look at what we're told about this servant, looking at the latter half of verse 1 going all the way to verse 3. We learn a few things about the mission or the missionary endeavor of this hero. Jesus is a servant hero who, first of all, has a quiet mission. The second half of verse 1 says, he will bring forth justice to the nations. Without Jesus, there's no mission at all. He will do this, and he alone. He will bring forth justice, period. But what about this mission, I think we ought to understand verse, uh, that, that phrase, he will bring forth justice to the nations, as a mission of declaration, a mission of a word. Well, let me explain what is meant by that. You notice right away, don't you, that the mission of this hero is global. He goes out to the nations. This isn't a, a local, regional God. He goes out to the nations. Verse 4 says coastlands means the same thing. He goes out into the entire world. And interestingly, Isaiah says that he will bring forth or he will bring out this justice. And that phrase bringing out usually refers to a proclamation. The, The word for justice here, by the way, is not an actual judgment or sentence. This word is the word that refers to a a statement of justice, a decision of justice, a declaration of justice. And Jesus refers to his own mission in terms of words in a similar way in Luke chapter 4. Do you remember Jesus' first sermon? Well, the first sermon recorded. We ought to remember that. It shows up in Luke chapter 4. And Jesus, he goes to a passage, Isaiah 61, and Jesus says this. He says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. We've heard that just in this passage, haven't we? The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And then Jesus continues, quoting Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to what? To bring good news. 
And then as you think about how Matthew quotes this very passage, right after the quote, uh, Matthew says uh, that this, he says this about Jesus, I will, or about God, I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. That word proclaim, it shows up in Matthew's translation of this very verse. When we think about Jesus who is bringing forth justice to the nations, oftentimes we think about Jesus as establishing a government. But what we need to hear right now is that Jesus is bringing a message, a message of a declaration of justice. You see, you have to understand something about your life. We've already been told that we're the kind of people who chase after other idols. We behold them or we behold self. We don't behold God's servant. Our life is one that's been perverted by the fall of Adam. All of us are guilty. All of us are without hope. And this declaration of justice is a declaration that can be made by Jesus and Jesus alone. Romans chapter 5 says that in Adam we are all judged guilty. But the free gift of God is this one man, Jesus Christ. And in Jesus we hear a different word. We hear a word of innocent, because in him we're declared innocent. This the old theologians called justified. Jesus is the one who justifies us, tells us that we are innocent. And we hear more of this when we hear about the kind of manner in which Jesus uses this great hero, a servant hero with this quiet mission. Uh, Look what Isaiah tells us. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. We can't actually use a preconceived notion of what a hero might look like. We certainly wouldn't describe a hero this way. We would describe a hero as coming with flash and with boom, but this hero's different. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. He comes gently. And that frustrates our view of what a hero must be. It's certainly not not like the kind of showy heroes that we see today. And he brings this justice in such a way that it's a justice that's without flash, but it's also a justice that's without violence. Bruised reeds he will not break. Faintly burning wicks he will not quench. And we need to hear how delicate and how gentle this hero is. His mission is extraordinary. It goes all the way out to the entire world. And it's a mission of a declaration of innocence to those who are not innocent at all. But even if he's, as he does that, he won't bruise us and he won't, uh, he won't quench us. The reeds, they grow in rivers and marshy banks, and typically they're weak anyway. But he has a way with his mission of exercising that mission without bruising or oppressing that which is already, well, very fragile. And then a half-flickering light would need the wick to be trimmed. You don't blow it out. You simply trim that wick. So this may be a reference to those whose hope is flickering. And Jesus, he doesn't blow us out. Uh, You might think, as I do, about the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, mourn, meek, hunger and thirst for for righteousness is what marks them. And this Jesus is the kind of hero that he comes without flash and he comes without boom. But he comes with gentleness. We don't expect that in a hero, do we? 
His mission is a quiet mission. And then finally, Jesus is a servant hero, not only with a quiet mission, he's a servant hero with an enduring mission. Isaiah says in such tight phrases that this Jesus will accomplish what he set out to do. He will not grow faint or be discouraged. Do you see that? He will not grow faint or be discouraged. Do you know our paradigm for what what, uh, that possibly might mean? The paradigm is the verse ahead of it. The the very words there, he will not grow faint or be discouraged, are the words that were used earlier with regards to a bruised reed and a faintly burning wick. They're just reversed. This Jesus, he, he does things in ways that are not like me because I'm that bruised reed. And I need his gentleness as he cares for me. I'm so fragile. And I'm that faintly burning wick. I'm the one who is on the verge of going out. And he doesn't quench me. That's me. That's not Jesus. Jesus is not a bruised reed and he's not a faintly burning wick. Even though his mission is very, very quiet. This is what I mean by a substitute. You see, when we're children, we imagine heroes and we dress up like our heroes. It's odd. Many of us have done that. You know you've done it. And even right now, our little theologians are drawing a picture of a hero. And what's what's interesting, that as we grow up as adults, we uh, stop wearing those tights and we stop putting on that cape. At least, I hope you do. We grow up, we don't do that anymore. But we do it internally. We just switch costumes from an external costume to an internal costume. And as we grow up and as we mature, we become inflated and we become strong and we, in fact, become heroic. This is why we proclaim the gospel, that those who are beholding themselves as their own hero would behold Jesus, a quiet hero, a different hero, a substitute hero, everything you don't expect. That's Jesus, and he's God's servant Even as we think that the church has this great and beautiful message, and she does, a message to proclaim this servant, uh, really in that proclamation of the good news of the gospel that the church is engaged in, that's really Jesus at work. You know that, right? That's really Jesus at work in that proclamation, in that message. So desperate is the audience, is the hearers of the gospel, that how dare we proclaim to them simply another hero, I'm your hero because I bring this message. The earthly, uh, visible church, the institutional church, that's the hero because I'm a part of the right denomination, the right church with the right worship. The proclamation of the gospel is the proclamation of the heroism of Jesus. He is the only one who can declare us innocent. And we behold idols. Well, how is it that this servant hero then is a substitute? Let me tie this together. We, as as I've said, are the ones who actually need to be rescued. In Adam, we are the fallen ones. We are the guilty ones. And only Jesus can be the second Adam, the one to declare us innocent. So we need this hero because we need to be rescued. In fact, we're the ones who are prone to chase after idols. We'll fabricate any idol rather than worship this Jesus. He's everything I don't expect. I want boom and flash. I want loudness. I want tons and tons of evidence that he is making, fashioning a brand new world. And he comes quietly. 
and he offers a word. Will you believe in me? Will you rest in me? And resting in me, you have everything, even more than you've imagined. We are the ones who are prone to chase idols. He alone is the one who substitutes for us. He comes and he offers to us his very life. He bleeds upon the cross. And as we come to the Lord's table, we celebrate that, that Jesus being our substitute at the cross. But this passage is not about that, is it? This passage is about the substitution that he makes, not on the cross, but with everything that leads up to the cross. Again, the older theologians say that Jesus is our passive righteousness by dying for us on the cross. He takes a suffering that we deserve. This passage, again, like the older theologians would say, is about Jesus' active righteousness. Every fiber of his earthly existence was pleasing to God, perfect before God. Jesus is our substitute at the cross by assuming a debt that we owe, but he's our substitute in every action that he performs, in every word that he utters, in every thought that he has. He's in every way perfect, and he lives the life that we cannot live. He substitutes for us at the cross, but with everything that he does in life, from his birth to the cross. He's that unexpected as a hero. This is the second Sunday of Advent, and we need to hear this, that we are a people who need this hero, and this is the only hero that God has for us, the unexpected hero whose mission is for our salvation. Welcome to the second Sunday of Advent. This is our hero. Would you join me in prayer? Our Father, would you save us from our beholding of everything else but Jesus, and especially save us from our beholding of our own heroic mission to save and justify ourselves. Oh, Heavenly Father, have mercy. We are grateful that you have sent to us a hero full of mercy. In his name, amen.